Welcome back to Gonzo Film Reviews, a place where we celebrate the art of cinema. And occasionally, a place where we engage in borderline sadomasochism and we watch films that most people probably wouldn't want to see. So, here you go. This is probably one of those films. The title of this episode is referring to the new film that released called Bo is Afraid. Um, and let's check the Wikipedia for this one. According to Wikipedia, Bo is Afraid is a 2023 American surrealist tragic comedy horror film written, directed, and produced by Ari Aster. I hope I didn't butcher his name. The film stars Joaquin Phoenix as the title character, Bo Wasserman, a mild-mannered but paranoia-ridden man who embarks on a surreal odyssey to get home to attend his mother's funeral, confronting his greatest fears along the way. It boasts a pretty good supporting cast, um, a surprisingly stacked cast for such a, a strange film. Um, in order to talk about the plot, I don't think I really can. I don't think I can do a plot summary of this one. Uh, it was three hours long and it was completely insane. Um, so the best way to dive into this is probably to start with what the hell was it? The first question anybody's going to ask after they see this coming out of the film, honestly, just sitting through the, the credits, uh, in the very last scene, that's probably the five words everyone's asking, what the hell was that? And I think time is the best lens to view this film through. Because if you try to view this through um, traditional film review lens, if you try to see this as a genre film, or if you try to look at this um, in any kind of classical way of critiquing things, you know, literature, film, art, whatever, you're probably going to be messed up. And you're not going to have a very good full picture at the end of what you watched and how you can understand what you watched. I think the best way to see this film, if you do, um, is to take it at face value first, just see what you see, and then just sit around and think about it for a few weeks. You could be afraid. Perfectly natural. The title of the episode is that I am afraid. <laughs> this movie was crazier than actual acid trips I've been on. So... To push forward through this introduction, I would be remiss not to mention that Ari Aster is a nut job. So if you've seen Midsommar, if you've seen, I think his other film is Hereditary, and if you've heard anything about the long, long odyssey of his own to make Bo is Afraid, then you'll know that um, when it comes to films, this man is a purposeful, gleeful lunatic. And he derives pleasure from making things that 
will confuddle, um, hurt, and make people question whether they want to continue attending cinemas, at least blindly. He's honestly the, the best case. He's the only case, really, that I've ever seen to justify spoiling yourself before you go to the, to, the, to the movies or before you watch a film. Because if you don't spoil yourself, you might end up hating yourself, hating him, hating the theater, hating everyone there. Um, you know, it could just ruin your night. It could just casually ruin your night. But I think the, the best word to describe this, it definitely is tragic comedy because the main goal seems to be, um, trying to make all the insanity, um, hilarious and they do succeed through the first two acts. I'll get to the third one, but let's start with the first two acts. Act one is the most kind of normal. You can begin to try and work out what's going on through the first act, and you can try and put it into the context of what you learn. So if you know who his mother is, uh, Bo, in the film, you know that she is a pharmaceutical tycoon. Now, that raises some red flags. You start thinking mental illnesses. You start thinking about drugs. You start thinking about um, the willful abuse of rich pharmaceutical companies and their leaders to push harmful drugs on people um, to make money regardless of whether, you know, regardless of any consequences whatsoever, and they usually don't face any thanks to certain legislations signed in the 80s and recently. So if you can kind of come to grips with the fact that you're not seeing a straight narrative, if you do that immediately, you should be a little better off. I guess this isn't really a review of the film so much as it is a guide on how to survive going to this film. If you do choose to, uh, to do that to yourself, or if you choose to watch it at home. Which, I don't know which is worse. I don't know what's scarier. Watching this film in a theater with other people, or bringing what this film is into the privacy and the sanctity and the comfort of your lovely home. Like, that might be a huge mistake for you. So, I would think twice before watching this film at all. I would think four times before watching this film in a nice place, because it might ruin that nice place almost forever. But anyway, back to the point. The first act was the most logically sort of coherent, and it was the only act where I felt like I was putting things together at the pace that they were being shown to me. So I was feeling as if I could kind of separate out the real from the fantasy and the... Um, what's probably going on in his mind and what's kind of probably actually happening. And as soon as the first act ends and the second begins, that's where the film, it begins to lose a little bit of its humor 
and it kind of starts getting more into suspense and tension and attempting to bend your mind. And throughout the second act, when Bo does things such as, well, I'll just use Nathan Lane. So in the second act, Nathan Lane plays the uh, surgeon who discovers Bo. So his wife, the surgeon's wife, hits Bo with her car when he's running around naked in the street at the end of the first act. Long story. But suffice to say, in the second act, he's more Truman Show, where he is seemingly being subliminally, sub, wow, subliminally warned that he is being watched, not, not to incriminate himself. That he's not in a place, he's not where he thinks he is, and the people he's with don't aren't who they seem at first, even though they're very nice at first. And he does more drugs. I would argue that throughout the first act, we can kind of understand possible afflictions for Bo. He obviously has anxiety, he obviously has other issues, he could have schizophrenia, and uh, the director has described this film by saying if he gave a 10-year-old Zoloft and had him go on a shopping trip, or a Jewish Lord of the Rings, but you're just going to your mother's house. Uh, I would describe it as a DMT trip that was carefully planned out by your mother. That's probably the closest thing that I can associate this film with. And so the second act, things start to unravel more and more. And there is a, there's a good marker, there's a good um, screenplay catalyst to kind of introduce each act to the, the audience. And usually an act ends with Bo running away from wherever he was due to circumstances that are largely depicted as out of his control and not his fault or being in the wrong place at the wrong time or everyone else is crazy, things like that. So you start to wonder, is this his revisionist idea of mental automatic processes to cover up for bad things he did or just to cover up for the failure of his acclimation to whatever environment he's in it's difficult to tell it's very tough because things keep changing and the narrative is completely discombobulating. So I would assume that Bo may see things the way that they're presented in the film on screen. Everyone else probably sees something different. I don't I don't know. But the second act 
sort of ends with him escaping Nathan Lane's house and running through the woods and then meeting a traveling theater troupe. And this is the part where I think um, most of the mushrooms were taken by the crew because this is the part where he meets the theater troupe and he inserts himself into a story he was seeing on stage, but you find out that he wasn't actually playing a part or engaged or anything. He, We go through like a 20 or 30 minute sequence of him seeing himself in this completely different story as a completely different man with kids and everything and a wife that he never had and, and it breaks his whole concentration at the end. It's kind of like if you have a religious person and they're kind of seeing a story and they agree with everything, but then at the very end, you pull the rug out from underneath them and you ask them a question that they can't answer, such as, if God is all-powerful, how can be he be all-good? And if he is all-good, how can he be all-powerful? Um, if 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 there is a God who is completely self-sufficient and all-perfect, then why would he create anything else at all? If he has zero need for it, it doesn't really make much sense. But there, there are millions of philosophical and logical arguments um, along those lines. I'm simply talking about Bo's failure to be able to hold on to this 20-minute um, cartoony little odyssey wrapped up in the big odyssey. And it's not entirely clear if if that's a good reflection of the narrative or if it's foreshadowing for the third act. Uh, it's not entirely clear because everything's so fucking weird in this movie and insane and doesn't make sense. So it probably takes a lot of viewings to get everything down and I don't have that kind of time for this film. So, but off of the viewing that I had, it was an IMAX. So, I mean, I saw it bigger. So I mean, I guess that counts as two viewings. So I've technically seen it twice, I would say. It's not clear if that little odyssey of him uh, seeing himself as this farmer who gets separated by his family in a big flood and then reunites with them as an old man and then realizes that how could he have possibly had kids if he had never had a wife and had never been to bed with her and then it all blows up and unravels. That could be a mirror image or a, an inverse image of the film as a whole where he assumes that he has a condition that he doesn't actually have because his mother told him he had it as a kid where he would die if he ever um, procreated and that he was told that's how his father died and that, that's how he was born, literally through the death of his father. So I, I suppose a lot of this film is um, a strange parable of him realizing that everything his mother told him was a lie and realizing that his whole life kind of is a lie because she's super rich and she has him under complete control. His therapist is on her bankroll and he shares every word of every session with her, which is insane. Um, there are a lot of hints and clues that the, the house of the surgeon was not a house at all. And it was actually you know, a mental institution that he breaks out of and escapes, a uh, mental institution that she probably funds or at least just put him in and asks for, you know, surveillance and everything. So it's, it's very interesting to try and think. I think the only truly um, gorgeous scenery and aspects in this film 
really come in the that towards the end of that second act of the theater troupe where he is um, inserting himself into that story. Problem is, though, um, the act ends and you go into the third act, which is just scarring. So the scarring third act revolves around Bo's successful arrival at the house of his mother, who had just recently passed. And he discovers a long-lost flame. Um, they met each other as kids on a cruise that his mother took him on as, as a child. So they allegedly fell in love, and then they promised to be virgins for the rest of their lives until they met again, and then they meet again at his mother's house at um, the funeral. They both, obviously, they both knew her. He was her son, and she was an acquaintance through their mothers. So Bo talks to her a little bit. They go upstairs into his mother's bed. They enjoy each other's company, and at the end of it, she freezes in death. She, she dies. This is the exact same way that he was scared that he would. So he realizes that he would not die from procreating. And then she dies on top of him. And at that moment, his mother comes out, says she was watching the whole time, scrapes the woman's body up. Uh, her, her goons get rid of the body, and then she starts a big, long argument with her son and reveals that his whole life is a lie, and she lied about everything, and um, the uh, the therapist comes out, so she shows him that the therapist was hers all along, and it just gets insane. So he starts to wonder, what is what is the ultimate secret of everything? You know, what what is the point of all this? Uh, he wants to, he's, he keeps demanding like the truth and everything whatever that is in this film the truth in this film does not mean much so she says do you want to know the truth fine i'll show you and she takes him into the attic and he sees pretty much like a twin brother of himself with a beard barely alive and then in the other corner, he meets his father, I guess. And his father is a giant dick. Now, when I say that, to anyone who hasn't seen Bo is Afraid, you might be thinking, oh, that's unfortunate. His dad's in the attic with his long lost brother and. He's an asshole. No, I didn't say asshole. I said dick. What does that mean? Oh, I mean an actual giant, greasy, hairy dong. A literal animated... Yeah. With giant spider legs, I guess. Because... Yeah. So... Um, upon seeing that, he argues more
with his mother after groveling to her for some reason and apologizing to her. I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. And then he strangles his mother. She falls into a glass table and he runs away yet again. I would call that the end of the third act and act 3.1 is just the end of the film. He runs out of the house, jumps in a motorboat, drives for a little bit, and then suddenly finds himself trapped in an arena with a big pool of water where his boat is, uh, his, his motor is failing to push the boat further, and he is on trial. Uh, his mother's rich lawyer is uh, showing footage to the crowd of every little bad thing he's ever done, every, any slight against his mother that has ever been, and then he uh, bows cheap lawyer tries to make some lackadaisical and half-hearted defense attempts and his mother Bo's mother's goons eventually just kill the defense lawyer so you know bye and um, the rest of the trial is just Bo's mother's lawyer yelling at him and Bo trying to plead his case and being ignored and then um, eventually he accepts his fate and the boat capsizes and presumably just kills him the mother cries and then the credits roll is just all of the people in the arena slowly leaving while the boat just kind of um lifeless lifelessly lists back and forth and it's a very disconcerting and uncomfortable and unsatisfying and stupid way to end the film and it's um i couldn't leave fast enough um, it was not a, it, it was such a waste. It was such a waste of, um, a very clever and interesting ending where you're leaving an arena watching someone suffer while you're watching on the screen, people leaving an arena after watching someone suffer. It's pretty cool. Cool idea. If it's done right, wasn't done right. It was bullshit. So here's what I think they were trying to do with Bo. I think they were trying to show people how readily we will accept watching other, the suffering of others. It was probably trying to say things about mental illness. Like every film tries to do when things aren't normal. Um, it was probably trying to say things about drugs and pharmaceutical companies and overbearing, um, suffocating mothers and like bad familial relationships and money and how it per perverses family and corrupts people and whatever, it was probably a commentary on how easy it is also for um, people to just kind of casually accept um, the, the, the callous nature of our country. It's difficult to say. It's tough to figure out. It's a very interesting film. I think it's very ambitious, but I think that the third act just completely blows up and drags down everything that could have been with this film. You could have had so many um, excellent alternatives to the attic being filled with, I mean, I can't tell if it's a brother or if it's just a him, like maybe he's discovering where he's actually been the whole time or something. And his father being a literal giant animated dong that kills a guy who comes in and tries to kill it with its spider pinchers. It just, I don't know. I feel like it just ruined 
all of the very, very hard work that everyone had to put in to sit through the first two acts and then survive the third one and then go through the ending and leave the theater feeling like they've been cheated, especially if you spend money to watch this film. Don't do that. Please, I implore you, do not spend money on Bo is Afraid. As much as I love strange art and weird art and um, crazy odysseys and uh, treatises on mental illness and drugs and whatever, it's just, it's not worth it. And I can't believe that this film, or at least the story, screenplay, whatever, I think the germination, like the little germ of the story, um, has been around since at least 2011. I can't believe you have 12 years to make a film and you still make it this stupid. You had, like, probably, probably more. You probably have 15. You've probably been thinking about this for a long time. I, I mean, I don't know. Does Ari Aster have, like, mother issues that he should, maybe his therapist, maybe he discovered that his therapist was actually bought out by his mom and he got pissed off and made a whole movie about how crazy, uh, psycho, you know, his mother is, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it makes no sense. It doesn't make much sense. And anytime it's about to make sense, uh, he makes sure to ruin it. He makes sure to, um, piss all over that and remove any chance of, um, people really figuring out what's going on. And yeah, I lied. Even though I said I wasn't going to go through the plot, I kind of went through a, um, general overview of why the plot is, pain um, and why it's difficult to really break down this movie for you. It just doesn't really lend itself. It doesn't do itself any favors. That's the best way to put it. It's so close to being enjoyable, crazy, And I just, I don't expect a very high, I don't know, man, it's, I don't even know. Well, what the hell was that? I just don't know. Seems like he was trying to do too many different things at once. And the third act really just blew up in his face. No pun intended. And as much as I hate trying, you know, trying to drag any any work down or 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 tarnish an artist's uh, impeccable choices, I suppose. You know, you you can't really say things like it's difficult to critique things because you know if you say anything, it's well, it's my choice as an artist. It was my artistic decision. It was my artistic choice. How can you say that was bad? How can you objectively say that if you change this or this or that, it would be the best version of this work of art that it could be because, you know, that's just, that's how you would make it, but then it would cease to be what it is. You know, there's always, there's always contradictions. There's always difficulties, but what I strive to do with this podcast is, is, recommend uh, more non-mainstream films to watch 
So when I see one that is absolutely garbage, or, well, not garbage in this case, but if I see one that doesn't work or is insane or actually gives independent filmmaking a bad name, uh, I suppose it's my duty to say so. And it's my solemnly sworn duty to say that if you watch Bo's Afraid, either watch the first couple acts and then turn it off and then think about it and then never come back again, or watch the whole thing and um, contemplate why you've ever watched a film in the first place. In terms of, like, Hero's Journey, things like that, the third act just, like, ruins that. So, if we're going to assume that most of this took place in Bo's head, right? Or at least something along those lines. Or if things aren't as they seem, you know, whatever. So if we're going to assume that, my best estimate is that Bo's mother's insane. She pumped him up on drugs with conditions that he didn't actually have. Um, she had complete financial control over his life, just about, probably. And she um, told him lies and raised him like a um, religious fundamentalist, believing all these insane things that turn out to be not true. Um, I would say that the trial at the very, very, very end of the nightmare that you wish you hadn't seen is probably the best indication that there is some sort of actual real-world thing going on that we'll just never find out. Whereas there probably was a trial, but that's just how he sees the trial because he's insane or messed up or on something or whatever. So it's quite possible that he did attack her or whatever. And then the trial being real in a sense is merely the representation of what happens when he is taken into the real world and has to deal with real world things, but he sees it through his broken mind and he sees it through a different way than anyone else would see it. And this leads him, this leads to how we see the film is the way he's probably imagining it or seeing it. And the way that we would see this if it was a straight drama or, uh, you know, comedy or whatever would probably just be whatever he did wrong in, in his childhood that made his mother so terrible or whatever happened in her life that made her so horrible. Flash forward to, you know, adult years and then he's flashing back to his childhood throughout the first act and then he does something bad in the first act and then he has to embark on a journey to fix it and then he attempts to fix it, doesn't work, and then the third act would be um, the culmination of his attempts to fix something that he cannot fix. And then, you know, boom, we all know what happens. There's a trial. Um, <clears throat> after he does something terrible, like if he strangled his mother in like after he had seen what he saw in the attic. Oh, boy, we're back to the insanity again, but bear with me. So if there was something else that caused the fight with his mother that caused him to blow up and. You know, if that if the if the choking and throwing her into the table was real, if that actually happened, if it wasn't one of his insane delusions, then the trial straightforward would have just been him on trial and um I guess losing? I think there's no way he gets a death sentence. Uh death penalty, I don't believe. 
So uh, his death at the end of the film that did come out is a lot different than it would have been in a straight shooter. But still, with a straight shooter, you have the trial is the only real clue that there could ever be a version of the, the film or the story where we do know what the hell is going on at any point in it because the trial is the only thing that's really representative of something that everyone could easily recognize and understand and um, it's it's the pursuit of truth. So naturally when you have a pursuit of truth, even if it's not being pursued necessarily or if a lie is being purported as a truth or they're mistaken about what the truth is, no matter what, the process is always the same because it's always going to be a pursuit for the truth. Um, it, unless it's a kangaroo court. So, in that case, I would say that there probably is some sort of <clears throat> hidden meaning, deeper meaning to Bo is Afraid. There probably are answers. We just will never get them from the film itself. And anytime you have to go around hounding a director, like, you know, for the answers to not just one bit of the film, like he left the ending, you know, say 2001 A Space Odyssey. Kubrick eventually did, in an interview, say what he meant by the ending, even though it was open to interpretation. Everything that preceded that ending was not 150% open to interpretation and, and in need of a filtration device um, to grasp the most basic premises of its existence. So this film kind of seems like a flopping around fish with no point to exist because all the water's gone. So, and it's unable to evolve into something that will survive without the need to be submerged in water. That's the best way that I can describe Bo's Afraid because there's just no tether and there is no interesting open to interpretation ending. It's the entire damn thing is open to interpretation for all three hours of its runtime. So I can't really recommend that unless you want to sit around and watch it like 50 times, attempt to dissect everything and even if you interpret one thing correct, you're probably going to get the other 399,000 things wrong. So just why bother? So then the next logical step, ask the director. He's never going to tell you. He doesn't even know himself. So <clears throat> if, there are, if there is any kind of meaning to this film, you won't find it in the film. You won't find it from the director. You will definitely not find it. Uh, hidden anywhere in the screenplay. Your only chance is to hope that he writes a book about every single frame of the film and every single word of dialogue and every single sound choice that he and the editor included. And the sound design team. It's probably the only way we'll ever get any kind of answers about this film. And I don't really like that. I'm not a huge fan of cinema that exists only to annoy. So people spend three hours of their time 
to consume your art, to support your livelihood with an exorbitant amount of money that is inflated in value and requires a bigger chunk than it should to go see a film. And the only thing you can do for three hours is um, poke them with a stick and try to piss on them. It just doesn't seem very appealing. <laughs> but that's just me, so... It, it, I'm glad he didn't begin with this film. Had this been his first film, I would say he should never pick up a camera again. But luckily the fact that he's made a couple other insane films before this one that I need to now go see because people are telling me that I should. I would argue that... So therefore I would argue that while it's not a masterpiece, while it's not really even any good, um, a lot of people do seem to enjoy the fact that because it makes no sense and it's insane and it smacks them in the face with never mind. Um, the, you know, that's, that's, that's what they enjoy about it. That's why they, you know, it's different. So yes, I will say it is different. It is definitely unique. Uh, you can't say it's not creative and it, it exists. It is, it's there. At least they tried I suppose. So yeah, I would give it... I would give it a pass. Uh, do not recommend. Under almost any circumstances. Unless you have spent your entire life watching films thinking, I really wish I could watch a three-hour insane film where nothing makes sense and there's no point and there's a giant animated schmeckle as... Um, the protagonist's father at the end of the three hours. If you have said that any time in your life, I have two recommendations. Number one, seek therapy and attempt to find one that your mother does not own. Number two, you can watch Bo's Afraid. Because it's got that. Um... I am scarred by this experience, and I will attempt to learn from it. So, I think that'll conclude today's episode. Um, kind of like the DC one in January, this was more of a, a little bit of a rant, and just something I needed to get off my chest, because what the hell was that? Um, yeah, this, this was Gonzo Film Reviews in the middle of the week. There's a, there's a big episode coming Saturday for everyone. Uh, you don't want to miss that one. So stay tuned on Saturday for the next big joint episode. I will have cloud on that one as well. And work on the documentary is continuing. So keep an eye out on the, on Twitter for that one. Just follow Liberty Lens Pictures on Twitter. You'll find it. Uh, yeah, this was... It was real. It was fun, but it was not real fun. This has been Socrates watching films, so you don't have to. 
Uh, until Saturday, enjoy your week. Enjoy the improving weather. And for the love of God, don't watch Bo's Afraid.